Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hello. Welcome to episode 18 of the Skies Runner podcast, where I get to talk to my good friends, Sarah Clayton and Lucy Parr. Yes, she's back. And who am I? Well, I'm Rachel. I'm founder and director of Born at the Right Time, which is passionate about bridging the gap between families like mine and the many practitioners who support us. I've got three boys. I, my eldest is the one who makes it essential for me to trust dozens of professionals for the well-being of not only him, but our whole family. Sarah is the CEO of Simple Stuff Works, but at the minute, leading a company has not been half as stressful as trying to get her daughter the support she needs with an accurate EHCP. Her current state of trusting, well, that's probably an all-time low. Lucy is the third person on this podcast, and she's currently paused her educational psychology PhD as she wrangles with the implications and consequences of trusting her child with complex needs to specialist services. Alongside our discussion today on trust, we have our first entry for the Don't Put That In Your Mouth poetry competition. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to the Skies Ronda podcast. I'm Rachel and I'm here with my beautiful, wonderful friends. I can say that because you can't see them, so you don't know if I'm telling the truth or not. Sarah and Lucy. Hello, both of you. Hello. Hello. How are you both today? What skies are you under on this fine evening? Well, it's sunny in pool, so that's nice. It's uh, In t- literal terms, it's very sunny where I am. Very beautiful. It's occasional monsoon rainfall. I've just um, been... Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing yeah. April showers in May. Yeah, my washing's out and I've just had that, you know, and you just look out. It was sunny, in, I put it out. out. In, out, shake Well, no, I've just left it out. It's done. Forget it. Yeah, are you, are you one of those? I was going to say, are you one of those who, like, rushes out in the mid-rain to get it in while it's somewhat no. dry? Or do you just leave it until it's dry? However many days it may it take. To, yeah. i will leave it until it's dry. At Me some too. point, it will be dry. Exactly. Uh, just not, even if it's, just not today. Even if it's three days. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter, right? As long as you it's don't fine. run out of pants. What this I it. won't do is I won't bring it, I won't bring it in, and then out again. Oh, okay. I'm like, what, so, once, no. you, once you've had one go, that's it. That's it. Yeah, one opportunity for outside drying, and, and then, then you you've missed your opportunity. That's not my yes. fault. So um, washing, you should you should be listen, uh, aware. Listen of up, washing. <laughs> Pay attention and make the weather better. I was editing one of our previous episodes today for publication soon, and. Lucy, I've got to say, when you start talking, you cheer up as you go through. But when you start talking, you sound a little bit pissed. Oh. You're like, you sort of go, I just, I don't know. I just, well, yes. and I think it's tiredness. But there's this kind of like, it's like you've had an anaesthetic on your lips. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I will try and elocute my words more efficiently. So oh, how, right. how am I? I am uh, still on the EHCP treadmill, and uh, it shows no signs of stopping. 
So let's just keep I'm sure on. we will cover some of that in our topic today. First of all, let's do uh, Would You Believe It? Uh, once again, Would You Believe It? I went on a hospital appointment with my son recently. What is it with the universe that when you're on your own in the hospital, it decides mm. to give you the monumentally worst news that it can? If I'm with um, my husband, you know, we've gone ready for, you know, for, for it to yeah. be tricky or whatever. And it's like, oh, oh, that's not so bad. But when I waltz in there being like, this is just routine. <laughs> this is just a tick box. So it's all going to be yeah. fine. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you're, um, <clears throat> or when you're a 44-year-old woman and you're going to bed <laughs> in the dark and you kind of run between lights because <laughs> you don't want yes. whatever it is in the dark to catch you. I feel like I'm doing that when I go on hospital appointments. I'm just trying to chase, like, I feel like I'm being chased by the next diagnosis and I'm just darting through hoping that it's not going to catch up with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> it caught up with me this week. Oh, <laughs> no. didn't run Mashing. fast enough. I didn't dart and swerve. And I don't know why it is, but like, you know, when the consultant comes in, we'd spent mm. a night and had a sleep study and the consultant comes in and goes, so, have you had any concerns? And I looked at him and went, not until three seconds ago, when the way you just said that, <laughs> Every part of my body tells me this is going yeah. to be a nightmare. <sighs> so, Aww. yeah, would you believe it? Flipping, flipping goalposts, being moved. Shifting again. Being moved. It's like... You'd hope, you'd hope not to believe it, yeah. wouldn't you? But yeah, then the longer do. it goes on, the more you think, oh. Yeah. yeah. I have a would you believe it as well. On. Would you believe it? On on Saturday night, I went to a punk gig in London, which is very good, <gasps> at the Electric Ooh. Ballroom in Camden. Very good. Excellent. Dream wife, giving you a shout out, because you were amazing. Um, and at, at the back of the dream wife situation, the punk show, I, my phone starts buzzing and I'm like, oh crap. And I look at it and, you know, you know, I just always check in case it's a Brecon related situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a Brecon related situation. It's a WhatsApp video call, right? These are the worst. WhatsApp oh, video calls. I had one of those I today know. from school. Yeah. That means something's hitting the fan and yeah. they want you to see mm -hmm. it to know exactly, exactly what to do. Exactly that. So this is, so I'm at the, at the back of this punk gig literally trying to find this tiny space where I can actually hear my phone. <laughs> and then I have to deal with a seizure crisis at the back of this, like, crazy punk gig. Oh. So I, I did manage it, and it was okay. But would you believe it? That's a ridiculous thing to have to do. That's a ridiculous normality to have. Yes. That's ridiculous. exactly yeah. what we did as well. But that, <laughs> you know, today, um, yeah. rushing off to school to pick up said child um, mm -hmm. because they didn't know what was going on. Uh, we have had some lovely emails recently. So Joe emailed back, and we mentioned Joe in previous podcasts. And Joe said oh, so she just loves the podcast and looks forward to Wednesdays. I apparently look forward to Wednesdays because apparently I'm drunk on Wednesdays. Yeah, exactly. Anaesthetized, <laughs> <So>. anaesthetized <laughs> lips. Um, and actually, Joe emailed and said, "I've." to save me from going back and listening to all the podcasts which obviously would have been amazing she wanted um the definition of trust that we had given in the past and actually joe we haven't just given you the definition but we've done 
an episode already and this is your second episode and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that trust definition again so um, hopefully Joe you can get some wonderful ideas or think well I'm not doing that because these three are talking rubbish this week and <laughs> um, whichever way it is so yes this week we're talking about trust Sarah and I met without Lucy last week oh we missed you and thanks guys you don't need to say that no we did we did and uh this week we so last week we're talking about trusting ourselves like our own internal voice um and and how our story might have shaped how we managed to do that and this week we're thinking about trusting others and the connection the relationships and particularly um the number of people that we need to trust in relation to our children So the definition of trust that we talked about last week, we talked about Brené Brown's definition of trust and that whole marble jar, you know, different situations and positive interactions kind of put marbles in the jar. So if we've done things that have resulted um, in positive opportunities or good outcomes, then we'll trust ourselves because that's... But if something atrocious has happened after a decision we made, then maybe our trust in ourselves will be completely turned upside down and all the marbles will come rolling out. The other definition of trust um, is, I love this definition of trust. It's by a guy called Charles Feltman. He's written The Thin Book of Trust, which is my best kind of book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thin. With massive I writing. It, I have it with me and it is a total of 84 pages, including like the, the... Absolutely lovely 80 pages <laughs> if all books should be 80 pages and then have a summary <laughs> it's just only the only bit you read anyway a-level notes <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah so charles feltman's definition of trust is trust is defined as choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's actions yeah 100 percent yeah that resonated so much to me from kind of just understanding a glimpse of the complexity of having to trust so many different people yeah with our children like yeah our Mm. loved ones and how it constantly feels like a risk it constantly feels like a risk, but at the same time, there is not any other alternative. And I think that's what makes it very hard. It's an enforced it's... risk. Yes. It's a it's a thrust upon you. Yeah. Kind of um, like being pushed out onto the tightrope. It's being pushed out mm-hmm. onto the gangplank. Brené Brown's recent book, Atlas of the Heart, she also talks about trust, Um and one of the things that she mentioned is institutional betrayal. So institutional betrayal is when an institution causes harm by action or inaction to an individual who trusts or depends upon that institution. So ladies, do you think you have felt the effects of institutional betrayal? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go for a different one than I think Sarah's going to go for. Um, I have experienced institute. What did you call it? Institutional, institutional betrayal. betrayal in the context of church. So mm. Mm, I think that for for us, we we were very much 
integral parts of the church. Stu was a youth pastor. We were very involved heavily. Um, you know, our kind of life was really entangled with the church. And then when Brecon came along, it it that relationship became completely different because we suddenly had a child that didn't fit mm. the children's ministry or the things that the you know he couldn't sit he couldn't sit through a sermon he couldn't he couldn't sit nicely until the children were dismissed to go to children's ministry and the kids clubs he couldn't access the kids clubs without extra mm. support all of that stuff and so all of a sudden we became totally exclude well i say we Stu was still working for the church so i became completely excluded because i was there trying to manage this child so that and show up and be part of church and be part of something that was completely a wrong fit for the child that i had um, and there was no there was no like move on their part to change that and i know some churches do it really well don't get me wrong i'm not slagging off all churches because some some churches do this really well um we just didn't have to be part of one that did um and I think, yeah, for me, that was a having sown so much of your life mm, and yeah, soul yeah. and and you know your essence pouring that into the church and and just being being there and being youth pastor and youth pastor's wife, you know, you're there at all hours doing all different types of stuff um, and pouring yourself into it like that, and then suddenly just being on the fringe and nobody really caring that you, you know mm. suddenly you can't access this thing which has been a huge part of your life and you've been you have given so much to um so yeah that that for me is a biggie um that's not that's not an isolated story at all I've been Mm -hmm. in so many different circles and I think there's something particularly painful when an community or an institution whose values talk about loving everyone and accepting everyone when you're complexity of life and your brokenness is either Mm. an embarrassment or too hard to handle or not fitting the narrative of what a good life looks like and what we all we're all blessed with um and to feel placed on the outside of a community that is supposed to be so founded on love is so utterly heartbreaking yeah it feels if it that yeah that betrayal feels so much um so it's much so, more yeah it's just so loaded and even like yeah. talking about it i feel viscerally in my body the mm. like the feeling again of like yeah. oh that was really shit like yeah. <laughs> that is really shit like you said it's a, it's a place that's supposed to encourage and promote inclusion and diversity and loving everybody and actually it it's very um what's the word insular yeah. When you actually drill down, mm-hmm. it's very insular, and if you don't fit the uh, the the kind of narrative of what it looks like, then it, you know. And I don't think it's intentional, and I think that makes it worse. I don't I don't think it's intentional. People don't intentionally go, ah, you can't. You know, it's just a complete oblivious. Oh well, you know, we're not. It's not even on people's radar to think about, which I think is worse in some ways. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good example of how when the betrayal of trust is so much more painful with the people that we're most intimate with when you know somebody on the outskirts of your your community your sort of friendship group or whatever is the person that always puts their foot in the mouth and always says something ridiculous and always makes the conversation about their emotions over how they're feeling about your life 
which is mm-hmm. super helpful. You don't feel in a trust, trusting relationship. It is so much more painful when it's people that you think, when it's the people that are really close to you at the time, yeah. when it's your family. Like it, yeah. it doesn't make sense that they should necessarily be the people that know how to deal with challenging situations or heartbreak when it's up close and personal but but trust that betrayal does feel like it's a bigger sting yeah yeah Yeah. totally yeah well do you know i feel like i'm experiencing institutional Mm. betrayal at the moment um and i know that i know that we've been through it before with the education system um and my response to that was um so after just before no where were we like um summer 2020 was just to withdraw us as like we were withdrawn anyway because of covid so it was like an ideal opportunity just to withdraw us completely you know like kind of just Mm. well we'll do it all ourselves if the institutions and the organizations that are set up to support are not supporting then fine then we won't participate in that because it's causing more harm than than good Mm -hmm. and we'll do it all ourselves and it's taken till now really to um to recognize like like you were just saying i have no choice there is no choice but mm-hmm. to participate in this system but i don't trust this system and almost recognizing that's quite helpful yeah you know kind of because i don't feel heartbroken by it i just i feel frustrated and i feel like i want to um i want accountability for the for the actions that people are taking at the moment they know it'll get sorted out i know it'll get sorted out so why are we delaying it mm. you know it's like a mm. game Born at the Right Time is an organisation focused on bridging the gap between families of people with complex needs and the many practitioners who support us. Through CPD certified training, workshops, advocacy and campaigning, Born at the Right Time team are passionate about seeing a cultural change in the policies that surround us, improving the service at delivery and bringing about a better lived experience for people caring for those with complex disabilities. So go to www.bornattherighttime.com for more information on CPD certified courses, parent workshops, or buy one of my books, The Skies Are Under or Shattered. Visit bornattherighttime.com to help bridge the gap between families of children with complex needs and those people who support us. I think I yeah. find that really tricky like I I have a, a deep down sort of it will something will work out whatever whatever yeah. will happen will happen but what I hate is not knowing how much my pushing pursuing uh nudging kind of repeatedly saying so where's this up to as nicely as I can yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. how much I can avoid negative impact how much I am actually if I just leave it like the the kind of the whole diagnosis of where my son's at at the minute he's awaiting some massive surgery they've now said he needs to have have non-invasive ventilation at night before he has that surgery to make it safe um and that's delayed the surgery by four months now there's an impact of potentially delaying the surgery by four months but I had this conversation with Sarah with you a couple weeks ago of like I don't know 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I don't know whether yeah. I'm supposed to say, I trust the system and the practitioners to have this conversation about yeah. where the risks lie and whether or not I should be pushing for this. And so yeah. I had separate yeah. conversations with the surgeons and with the respiratory doctors and they're like, oh, I'm not sure we have had that conversation. Yes, we will do that. And it's like, if I hadn't done that, mm. like, and maybe they'll come to the same decision. Like, yeah. I don't know. But it's this whole feeling of how much am I supposed to be meddling? Yeah. <laughs> and how much am I supposed to step back? But it's that, it's that tightrope again. When mm. do you, um, when do you push and when do you, when is it reasonable to let them get on? And actually, if you didn't push, yeah. if I hadn't phoned the college last week to find out what yeah. I needed to know, then I wouldn't have realised just how much of a nightmare yes, we're in at the moment. Yeah. yeah. To then have to sort that mess out. I, I have to say, EHCPs in the past, because she's lived at home and because I have so much input with regards to, like, I've, I've never really felt... you're so obsessive. The EHC- <laughs> yeah. such a control freak. Yeah. And because she's but, always in arm's reach. <laughs> yes. Because she's always yeah. just next to me here. Um but because but because she was um she's not been as vulnerable to the system. Yeah. yeah. The idea of her out and about without the without the right level of support is just you know, kind yeah. of she won't survive that. I've been thinking about this this whole topic around trust and What's really struck me is the, we talk about power imbalance, but there is a massive trust imbalance, as in the system expects us to trust it. The system Mm -hmm. is set up with the default um, narrative that families trust, leave them to trust that they do what they do, because soon as we are saying, where is it? What's going on? Have you done this yet? Have you done, you know, then we are the nagging, annoying, heart sink parents who are always challenging and difficult. Exactly. Mm. And I think we all take on that role very, very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. um, but that but that's what happens if if you're the person that's like, has it been done? You know, that does that checking, that does that monitoring, that yeah. does that um, the micromanaging. micromanaging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. However, the system is set up to mistrust us the system is set up to scrutinize to want proof to want justification to want every detail with the assumption that we will abuse that we will not do the right thing that we will fail our children that we will those are the assumptions not necessarily the practitioners or the individuals that we work with but the system, the the documentation that they're required to write, the, yeah. the the things that are required to be reported, are all based on prove to me that this is what they need. Prove mm. to me that this is what this family deserve. Prove to me that they're not going to waste this money. Prove to yeah. me that they're yeah. sick enough, heart it's challenging enough, whatever. And without yeah, you're it, you're broken enough. And it is yeah. yeah, it is baked in as well because like in education there needs to be there needs to be a shown like two cycles of a graduated response, which basically means that you you show as a school that you've put in all this provision and that it has not worked. 
times two cycles, like two terms mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. only then will the local authority accept an educational healthcare needs assessment, and that's baked into every local authority, this graduated response situation. And while you yeah. could, I guess you could argue that, you know, you're, you're just exploring every avenue, there are obviously some children where we know, we know those children have needs over and above what we can meet, but we're not trusted to mm-hmm. say that as practitioners, um, yeah. and parents are not trusted to say that as parents because we have to prove and prove that the child will fail if we put the highest level of support in and therefore they need an EHCP. It's not even that the system doesn't trust the parents, the system doesn't trust the practitioners within it. Yep. Yep. The system doesn't trust the person with the OT degree or the physio mm-hmm. degree because they then have to go to the panel to prove that they've got all the reports and got all the information and that it's mm-hmm. the it's the budget and the finance and the outcome and the whatever else that gets it through. So the system um, is crushing <laughs> the kind of the spirit of the practitioners as well as the families yeah. by um, persistently mistrusting by having mm. and it doesn't frame it as that it frames it as justifying um need, you know wanting to exactly yeah. and and allocating resources uh, sensibly and all those kind of things but what that feels like and the dynamic that that delivers to families is a massive imbalance of vulnerability and trust and mistrust so we yeah. have to be vulnerable and we have to trust the system the system is impenetrable. It doesn't penetrable. I didn't yeah, say that word. Penetrable. Um, <laughs> you can't get through to the system. It's not. It's opaque. You know. Yeah. You don't necessarily know what you'd need to get the thing. You know, to to mm-hmm. tick the right boxes or to get the right services. Um, and so there that you you hit against a brick wall. So your your vulnerability is matched with um you know armor <laughs> full yeah. full body yeah. armor i was thinking about this the other day because i was really lucky last week um with a load of stuff going on with this stuff about college i i, I basically needed to take a day out of work mm. and i'm so lucky because my colleagues were able to say yeah, that's fine. I'll take that one. I'll do that one. You know, that kind of, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I then was able, um, or I phoned you, Rachel. I phoned mm-hmm. um, uh, a really good OT friend of mine to talk, you know, to talk everything through just to get all of the, all of the bile out of me <laughs> before I then was able to speak to them. Mm. And that, that opportunity, I think, you know, because I was thinking if I'd just come home from work, if I'd kind of done nine to five, um, I've got home. Obviously, it's not nine to five, is it? Because you've got to get all the little buggers out the door before that, and then you've got to collect <laughs> them all again. And you know, if I'd then been presented with that information last week, that I was so disappointed, I was so angry. That's when you fire off the emails, mm. and the you know, if they're still around, mm. you would phone them, and you know, yeah. and how what a privileged position I'm in to be able to have that opportunity to slow down, reflect on what it is that has happened, what I need my response to be in order to to make progress. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, privilege. Total privilege. Privilege to, privilege to communicate with others, privilege to have 
the 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 space to yeah. um, sit back and reflect, to have those insights, and to know how how to articulate exactly. your needs in a meaningful, yeah. um, even strategic way. It, that that's, means people, that's the thing. That means people that's have it. to pay in, to listen. The greatest fear is not being heard. Then, to be sitting in a place of thinking this isn't right and not being able to express it, yeah, or not be heard. Not to be heard and not to be, um, for what you're saying, not to be acted upon. I've had um, emails over this over this past month. Um, I asked two questions, uh, perfectly reasonable questions, by email to somebody, um, and I got a, a response back, and it was a single word, and it just said, "No." I'd asked whether I'd asked whether the draft DHCP had been submitted to a quality assurance process on the day that she said that it had, because apparently it seemed to be going through again. And I was like, "Well, I thought this had already been done," so I asked that, and I asked for the policy around um, not accepting independent um, healthcare practitioners yeah. reports. The answer in an email, just no. What do you mean? And, dear, dear Mrs. Clayton, no, 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 no. you're sincerely. No. Just no. no. Just no. Just no. One word, no, and, her, and the signature. You know, you take a breath and it's like, right, dear so-and-so, yeah. please forgive me. I don't understand what you're saying do you mean no to the first question it wasn't submitted on that day or do you mean no you won't share the policy please let me know best wishes you know i refuse i absolutely bloody refuse to get to drawn into like a get drawn into yeah, it yeah, i've got yeah, i've got yeah. i've got numerous examples like that one right? i can oh, see rachel just going so painful oh. but if Sorry. someone's being aggressive aggressive yeah like it's like i'm not i'm i just refuse to have that kind of argumentative response with I'm not it. wasting my zen. No, no. <laughs> my, I've really got a certain exactly amount of zen. That. I'm not spending it on you, love. Exactly. Do you know exactly. how much this zen has cost me? It's, it's a finite resource. <laughs> and I ain't wasting that zen on you. What impacts, what impacts our ability to trust others, to trust, let's be particular about practitioners or as a practitioner to trust families? Because I think we've got to we've got to acknowledge this is a two way street. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got to recognise that there is a default trust mistrust stance, and so this yeah. isn't an equal playing field. So when I say we need to recognise that both practitioners and parents are responsible for this this backwards and forwards, that is within the context of there being an expectation of trust on one side and an expectation of mistrust and protection on the other Mm -hmm. so yes we can all do things to try and bridge that gap but the system is set up um sort of weighted on one direction Mm -hmm. what do you think either from a practitioner or a parent point of view what impacts people's ability to trust um i think yeah it's about agenda and drive behind it and it's about um I, i come across it much more with practitioners who don't necessarily hold reflective space to think about their practice themselves and think Mm. about what they bring to the table and their lived experience and if they have no if they have nowhere no understanding or lived experience of um what it is to have a child with needs um or what it is to battle a system for the things that you need or you know just general 
genuine authentic empathy for those people then they they are much more likely to get swept up in the agenda and the drive of um, and just the the kind of constant narrative of well are you sure that they're not just shit parents let's put them on a parenting course or are you sure that you know because because that redirection of blame and that redirection of responsibility as soon as you do that it takes it off you for a bit I think that's a huge thing, really. I think I think what you just said there, Lucy, is really key. I mean, it's super stressful when you work when you go when you work hard and you want yeah. to do the right thing, and things yeah. still go wrong, and it has and it has massive consequences on people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the thing that's most stressful is going in and thinking, what's their agenda? Like, what's yeah. and I recognise that some the times that I really um, lost trust with practitioners was when they couldn't trust my motivation mm-hmm. you know when they were worrying about me tripping them up or me trying to find uh how they'd messed up does that make sense yeah, that, yeah. that i've that i've i had um allowed a culture and a relationship whereby i was just ready to pounce out of my own fear out of my own vulnerability out of my own you know all sorts of reasons but I think trust trust is very much um dependent on everyone within the conversation like if we take ourselves out of the big bag system and make it about the conversation and the interactions um trust is not there if you always think the other person is just trying to use your words Mm-hmm. to either get out of what they don't want to have to provide or to prove that you're being shit at your job or whichever way yeah. around it is. Simple Stuff Works is a family-run, world-leading provider of position equipment and postural care training. Their mission is to keep people feeling comfortable and protects their bodies from avoidable and devastating changes in body shape. Simple Stuff Works puts people and their families at the centre of postural care by making everything as accessible as possible. You can check out their YouTube channel for free access to training and their website www.simplestuffworks.co.uk for more downloadable resources. That's www.simplestuffworks.co.uk co.uk so my husband works in a big uh it uh company um you don't actually know have... what he does do you no no <laughs> no one knows what anyone works in it no he explained it once uh it was very boring I, I remember listening to a uh, a conversation that he was having and there'd been a big screw up and it's like and you are talking like you know millions of dollars that yeah. that in these screw ups you know and it's Oof. like ah da, 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 da. yeah and uh, i was like he, he come off the phone it was, it was relatively early in our relationship and i was like are you will you be in trouble for that you know like kind of is that was that your fault and he was like you what and he, i was like well i was involved in it but but it was it's not anybody's fault it's 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 gone wrong and and it will cost a lot of money but it's it's nobody's fault and I was, you know, and he just like, sorry. Right. <laughs> and uh, he was saying, he was like, well, no, it's, an, uh, he said it's a uh, no blame culture. Mm, it's great. And, that's, and everybody so knows good. 
that it's yeah. a no blame culture. And I was like, a no what? <laughs> and uh, I was saying, but when it goes wrong, surely, like, the, like you, surely have you have to hang someone out fu- to dry. Yeah, yeah. Well, surely the it. buck stops with one person. Yeah. Surely you have to have exactly. a scapegoat that we can all point totally. out and throw tomatoes at, don't we? This yeah. is it. And not speak to. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then um, when they've gone, we can all pretend that actually it was them that was at fault, not the system or yes, the situation exactly. or anything else. This is it. And he was just he was just looking at me, you know, kind of completely. Because he, he's, yeah, well, yeah, because he's never worked. He's always worked in these big, big um, organisations. And it's always very much, because there's huge sums of money involved, it's like they're not interested in, in blaming somebody. They're interested in knowing Getting what went wrong. wrong. Yeah. Why did the system screw up? Do not let the system screw up again. Rather than who mm. screwed up, don't you know? It just yeah. and it, yeah. honestly, just fascinating. I, re- I remember listening, um, sitting in a lecture theatre in Waterloo. Um, I was a king's nurse, and I remember sitting there, and the whole thing was on the no blame culture within the NHS. How new labour was all about trying to bring about change, and mm. that in order to improve systems, in order to get services better, the way to do it was to have this no-blame culture. Yeah. Well, that went well. <laughs> <laughs> well done, and on that note... Your son. <laughs> oh, dear so God. The, I think... But I think what, what didn't happen, and is so often the case is the ideology was not manifested into the systems. Yeah, yeah. The ideology no. was not given the framework to work, and that's the same with the AHCPs and the ideology yeah, yeah. of collaboration and co-production. Yeah. It's the same um, in so many aspects of um, holistic care and everything else that, that we're all supposed to be talked to each other, but nobody, the system isn't set up for that collaboration. We're all supposed to be having the same uh, the same goals but no one's got everyone then has to go back to their manager with their individual goal rather than what's yeah. the need so the system is not set up to allow for that to be a reality yeah and so it's about not just the big ideas of a no blame culture it's then that reporting that, what is it? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. you know, all yeah. those things that are in place, that communication, the processes. That, that sense yeah. of safety and trust that is mm-hmm. required. Um, and I know, I know plenty of clinicians that do not feel held by the NHS and plenty mm-hmm. of teachers who do not feel held mm. by the, NH, the education system and lots of um, commissioners and workers of the local authority who do not feel like if something goes wrong, then and and we see it in the in the news and in the media, everyone yeah. wants everyone wants to vilify somebody, yeah. and the yeah. only way that we're going to start seeing a more trustworthy um, and trusting system if we don't if we don't try and take individuals down, but mm-hmm. learn from mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. agree. So all this stuff, this Charles Feltman stuff and this Brené Brown stuff is all around is is all around workplace trust. It's all around about you, you know how mm-hmm. do you as work colleagues how do you manage to um, create a trusting network amongst people who work together. And the problem is at the minute the system is set up as much as it says differently. Can you hear that rain? Oh yeah. Wow. 
the problem is at the minute, as much as there is the team around the child and as much as there is this um, jargon and lingo around us all working together, it is not set up with the parents being part and parcel of that team. It's set up for the individual. And it's not even set up for health to work with education Mm -hmm. as as part of the team. It's not even set up for all the different services to be part of that one team there's these little insular teams yeah mm-hmm. and that sets us up into a bit of a mistrust spiral i think yeah yeah i love rachel in the little book of um what's it called the thin, thin book of trust the thin book of trust just read out because lucy you'll love this read out characteristics of trusting relationships and, and char- then there's the characteristics of mistrustful relationships honestly lucy brilliant Okay, behaviours that are indicative of trust. Firstly, cooperating, mm-hmm. collaborating, engaging in conversations, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Dialogue no. and debate of ideas, yeah. listening, communicating freely, supporting others, sharing information, offering ideas, expecting the best, a willingness to examine owns actions. Yeah, brilliant. Willingness to there examine own actions. Like a recipe for trust. And then read us the recipe for mistrust. Or behaviours. Of distrust. Yeah. Defending. Direct attack. Resisting. Blaming. Complaining. Judging. Avoiding or ignoring. Withholding information and ideas. Expecting the worst and justifying protective actions based on distrust. Yep, perfect. See, there's two episodes in, in like, what, 30 seconds or something, isn't it? Because it's, mm. that, it's that, those behaviours, like, well, how many have we done? 18 episodes, and we've talked about, how many of those behaviours have we talked about mm. all the way through? Mm. Um, and what everybody wants, like, when you talk to practitioners and you talk to parents, what everybody wants is that first set of behaviours. That's why people yeah. go into the whole bloody thing, isn't it? You know, the people that are working in those systems eventually, you know, kind of either leave or, or get become part of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. yeah. Because you end you up with some groupthink stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Don't you? It, it is so mm-hmm. dangerous and it, culturally that happens all the time, I think. that You know, you go into it wanting to make a difference and then you're just beaten down and you're so tired and, you you know, you're co- constantly ethically compromised as a practitioner um, and you just end up going, I either leave or I, like, stay and I become part of this and, and yeah, I think that's really, mm. really hard. Another Another interesting thing around that sort of trust and distrust... There's, they also he also talks about the neurophysiology within those two contexts. So the neurophysiology in a trusting situation is a normal level of oxytocin, full mm-hmm. availability of neocortex, so that's the thinking part of our brain and the limbic system, which is able to make decisions and take action, and then the ability to intervene and change a sort of predetermined, pre-programmed neural patterns so the ability to be curious to be creative to think outside the box to to do something differently but within a distrusting situation and within um, behaviors the brain's primary defense systems as in the amygdala 
um, is yeah, warmed up. the emotional centre. Yeah, and primed for yeah. any sign of imminent danger. So we basically do this hypervigilance alert yeah. thing. Elevated levels of adrenaline, cortisol, fight, flight, freeze chemicals, and then limited use of the neocortex with a greater reliance on defence-related pre-programmed neural patterns for making decisions and taking action. So, And we see that, don't we? Because mm-hmm. what happens is um, system says no. Because we're, we're the, the practitioners are frightened, scared, defensive in a situation where they are waiting for something to pounce, whether it's the person above them, whether they're waiting for their manager mm-hmm. to pounce on them, whether they're waiting for um, the families to pounce on them because they're, they know they're doing their best and they know their best is not good enough. Yeah. You know, it isn't meeting need. And so they're constantly waiting for, you know, to be got in the neck for having yeah. missed something and so they are in that that hyper alert state aren't they so yeah. both of us are thrust into this distrust our bodies are feeling it from our head to our toes yeah 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 and when and, children you know i work with a whole bunch of different children and when the children are heightened and kind of mm-hmm. displaying those behaviors you see it all over displaying those kind of fight flight behaviors there is no reasoning like your reasoning part Mm. of your brain absolutely shuts down so uh, you need to kind of drop your language right down you you just the only thing you can do in those situations is contain and so until they're re-regulated but what that is what is crazy about this situation as parents and practitioners is there is no containment we can't and wait regulation <laughs> exactly there isn't so we're the system just go and sit on the naughty step yeah and we're... calm itself down yeah we're, we'll, we're like we'll get the nhs off the naughty step <laughs> once it's had time to think and reflect on how it's and treated it, yeah. its staff it's just crazy so so then you're actually operating and having to make decisions as parents and practitioners in the state where you're hyper vigilant and you're not, you are not having full availability of your um executive function and the thing mm. creative problem solving abilities all of that stuff so we it, it's the system creates a perpetual cycle where actually until we stop and reset it we're still going to have to function in this crazy state. But I wonder whether there are things we can do to change our, in that state, to change our kind of neural pathways and make ourselves, make our executive function more more available and to make our creative problems of brains more available in those situations or whether it is just by definition going to be more difficult. Um well, if we look at if we look at our little thin book, um, they mm-hmm. they define there being four distinctions. Like trust, choosing to trust something has four distinct assessments. Like we go into our decision whether we can trust a system, whether we can trust a person, whether we trust a relationship, based on four different things. And the first one is sincerity. So whether you are a practitioner or a parent you can um, increase the level at which the person you are communicating with trusts you by your level of sincerity. So not responding with ironic, tongue-in-cheek, arsey emails (laughs) from both directions. Then secondly, reliability. That's a a level of consistency. Do what you say you're going to do. And from a parent point of view, don't go and change it. If you say, look... You, I know you're doing your best or whatever. I don't then flip it three weeks later and say, I said, didn't, you know, 
be yeah. reliable and consistent in what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Competence, okay? So that's like, is the is the person that you are communicating with, do, do you believe they are able to do what you need them to do? Yeah. What the purpose is? And that's really tricky because if the competence isn't necessarily related to the person, it's related to the person in the context of the system within which, within which they are working. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's tough. And then finally, um, care. Do they care? Fundamentally, do they care? What was their primary focus? Um, do they have what you care about? Do they have their own interests at heart? In mind or are they making decisions and acting with care for the subject the person the situation that is mm -hmm. on the table disheartening in one sense but i think that's something that every single person can choose to do a little bit better yeah. we can choose to be more sincere more reliable right reliable live within our competence and care it's helpful as well isn't it to um to when you reflect on where the like so our relationship currently with the people that that I'm trying to work with and it's interesting if you think about those different areas and you can you know kind of break those down mm. and think actually this it's it's, it's not the care because I don't I do yeah. honestly think that the people that are involved really do care mm -hmm. so it's it's some of the others mm. <laughs> and then if I can if I can make sure that my communication focuses on those other areas and I don't bring into question whether or not somebody cares because I do believe that they mm. do care mm. you know like kind of thinking about again back to that strategy of what's the bit that is unsettling me mm. and what's you the know? bit that I can do about it you know yeah. even if it's, it is um quite simply like I can't make somebody more reliable or more competent but what I can mm. do is voice my um, and acknowledge my own, you know, my own flight or f f fright or fight or whatever, freeze, flight, fight and freeze, our own level of angst related yeah. to yeah. finding that bit hard. Yeah. You know, and whether that's because of their behaviour or because of previous behaviours, it's going, do you know what? I recognise that I'm not um, in a great place in this situation because I'm feeling under threat and I'm feeling um, vulnerable and I'm feeling like um, I've, I've felt like I've been bruised by this system before and I'm finding it really hard to trust. Um, what would really be helpful is if there was a level of reliability or a level of um, acknowledging like the transparency or whatever it is by saying yeah. this would be helpful and I'm in return I recognize that I've not been ideal in how I've communicated or done something yeah. it's always is always um feels nicer and easier to point the finger <laughs> and say it would be yeah. so much better if you did this 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 and this but mm -hmm. actually from a from certainly from my lived experience that's stressful because that's not something you can do have any control over at all whereas if I can identify the things that I can do differently within yeah. that situation even if it is to have more zen to care less exactly more zen <laughs> less <laughs> then then that's all I can do 
that's yeah, all yeah. I can do. And, and, and it is, yeah, it's about recognising that locus of control because it, it, in recognising what... You, you can't control anything anyone else does. And I think we're all under the illusion that we can because we'd quite like to think that we can. But the reality is, in whatever situation, anywhere, nobody can control anything other than their response in a situation. Mm-hmm. And so once you get that and grasp that, it's so empowering because, you, like you say, you, you don't, you're not like ang- aggy over micromanaging everybody because this, it's like, well, I've done the bit I can do. You do the bit yeah. you can do and mm. that's all you can do. And then you're quite empowered to then just go... Okay, that's what I've done. I I can emotionally be have closure on that because that is all I've that, that is all I can do. See, Lucy, I think you're miles ahead of us. Sarah and I are not there. <laughs> you're so miles ahead of me. I'm I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, uh, that's a lovely yeah. idea, Lucy. Lovely. <laughs> so on that note of kind of recognizing what we can and can't do, um, we'll leave another little gem from Charlie, Charlie Feltman. Charles, sorry, Charles, says trust is critical for everyone who wants to work with others to accomplish something that is not possible alone. Yeah. Too true. So essentially, that's all of us because none of us can give our children what they need alone. And therefore, one of the things we have to suck up is the fact that we got to trust. We have to trust a yeah. system. And I, I see it in my, you know, we've not really touched on it, but I've se- I see it in my peers when they're in a situation where they have been fundamentally left down. They've really felt that institutional betrayal. And that has been the cause of their child's disability because people didn't do what they were supposed to do or yeah. whatever. And they end up in really difficult situations how do you pick up that trust and I think I think the only way because there were things that didn't happen well when my son was born um but the only way I can function in trust learn to trust invest in trusting is believing and knowing that it is a requirement for yeah. things to be accomplished that I cannot do on my own. Yeah. It is an absolute fundamental aspect of my mm. child getting the things they need in the way that they need it. Yeah, definitely. And I think those things that you broke down, kind of mistrustful versus trustful relationships, are really excellent kind of concrete tools because we can look at that and go, right, I need to cultivate that mm. and yeah. foster that. And this is, and then think about the ways I can do that with the practitioner that I'm working with, or with the parent that I'm working with, or whatever it be. So I think those that that those it's almost like a guide guidebook. Um, it's like a red flag, can, green flag. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. If you want to quote Squid Games. Ladies, thank you so much. We've solved the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just did it, just did it, all done. So there you go, everybody, go off, go off and trust. Um, we we can all now trust and be trustworthy. Um, I will put in the, the, the notes all about um, our lovely thin book um, that we've basically plagiarised the whole way through the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure Charlie will be glad of the publicity. Yeah. Um, and Brené's... And Brené's uh, uh, Atlas of the Heart, which is a beautiful book, and I looked at it and thought, oh, I don't think I can underline and highlight. And I was like, Oh no, I have to. 
I have to, there's too much stuff that I need to underline highlight. <laughs> to finish off, we did have our poetry competition from last week. The poetry title, and um, you still have time to submit your poems if you would like. Um, and the title of your poems, should you want to submit one, is Don't Put That In Your Mouth. <laughs> and we have one entry to read this week. Uh, Sarah, do you want to do that? I'd love to read this, yeah, would if you? that's okay. <laughs> so it's come from Anna. Um, Anna of Tamworth, age. <laughs> Anna, Anna of Tamworth, age 30-something. Uh, and, and she's stuck to the rules. She has entitled it, Don't Put That In Your Mouth. Don't put that in your mouth, my mother used to say, from the tiny poly pocket to the plasticine or clay. Little did she know that this was a family trait that would see me remembering her words too late. That last tequila shot, the questionable <laughs> kebab, the earnest endeavours of my three-year-old in baking bad. For each of these, I paid the price of forgetting my mum's sage advice. And when things had already taken a turn down south, I would lament and cry, don't put that in your mouth. <laughs> I wish I could say I learned as I grew what a cautionary tale this could be for you. But as the years went by, the mistakes went on. My oral predilections were dodgy and wrong. <laughs> the student days were the worst for dubious consumption, with cheap cider and chips round the clock. Not to mention the horrendous sugar-filled drinks and the odd insalubrious gentleman's cock tail. <laughs> <laughs> She has, in brackets, written the words, FNAF, FNAF. <laughs> but one moment stands out in my palette adventures, when as a grown-up I should have known better. Whilst taking responsibility for my genital health, I did not follow the rules to the letter. Upon feeling that familiar downstairs itch to the kind pharmacist I flew, I popped the pill and slathered the cream. I'd been there before. I knew just what to do. But on closer inspection of the T's and C's, there would be no salvation for my bits down south. For in my haste, the wrong pill I have popped. And you must never put a pessary in your mouth. <laughs> That's amazing. She should get a blue, blue Peter badge for that. Oh, we could have our own uh, <laughs> Skies I'm Under badge. <laughs> oh, yeah, merch. I love it. <laughs> what would be the logo? We'd like mugs that go, oh, don't put that in your umbrella. mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. <laughs> All yeah. right. Thank you, ladies. Um, have a lovely days, weeks ahead. Until we see you next time. Goodbye. Take care. Bye. 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 In summary, trust is easy peasy lemon squeezy. <sighs> or not. It seems though that we need trust. We need trust to do the things with people who support us in doing the stuff that we can't do on our own. Like provide our children with the health, education and care that they need throughout their life. I will, of course, add the brilliance that we have shared from Charles Feltnam and Brené Brown to this episode's notes on our website, www.bornatherighttime.com. And all each of us can do from this moment forward is reflect on where we're at and make the steps we can towards changing our sincerity, reliability, competence and care, investing in a more trusting relationship. And we could also try and change some of the system. 
We'd love to hear more of you um, about your poems. Wiz, I'm talking to you. You can submit your, don't put that on your mouth, poetry entry to tswupodcast at gmail.com. The Skies Wonder podcast is a Born at the Right Time production with the expert audio assistance of Harry, the humour and insights of Sarah and Lucy. We appreciate you coming back each week and would love your help in spreading the word through rating the podcast, reviewing and following the podcast wherever you listen, as well as telling anyone who will pay any attention all about us. You can email your stories, thoughts and ideas to us at tswupodcast at gmail.com. That's tswupodcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on Instagram at bornatrighttime. We love you joining us for the ride on this off-piste kind of parenting. It's so much better doing it together. Whatever skies we're under. <laughs>